We continue in our time uh, this series looking at this great gift of salvation that God has has provided for us. And as you can see, we started this series uh, asking that question, you know, how does a person come to know uh, Jesus? And, and asking that question about from the Bible's point of view. So many times we think in our in our our situation, I think, oh, all I have to do is go down to an altar, say this uh, prayer, and that's it. But as we saw through Scripture, it's so much more than just uh, saying this sinner's prayer. It is that understanding of who we are, that we are these helpless sinners in need of a Savior in our lives. That we have this, this public confession that Jesus is Lord, referring to the fact that Jesus, as we were singing, I surrender all. One of the hardest songs to sing because if we really were serious about it and understanding the, the words, that, that's the mentality that as we come down and as we give our lives to Christ, that's really what we're doing, is we're surrendering. And we're saying, you are now Master, you are now Lord of my life, and my life from this point on is totally going to be lived for you. And that's that public confession, as Paul says, uh, that to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is your Master. Peter said in Acts chapter 2, that is by baptism. Again, what is baptism? That public confession that I am no longer going to live like this anymore. I am now going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And last week we started this uh, question of saying, uh, what happens? What happens when a person becomes a follower of Jesus. And Scripture gives us these images. Scripture gives us these words. And as you grew up in the church, these words are not foreign to you. We've, we've used these words. And, and you can see a, a couple of those. If you have a, the outline there in your bulletin, you can see the, some of the ones that we looked at uh, last week. This understanding of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. How we are these, this new creation in Christ. Our old sinful lifestyle is dead, is gone, is buried, is disappeared. But when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are those that new creation. Not only that, we saw in last week again, there's this understanding of that we are reconciled to God. And again, we are enemies of God before Christ because of our sin. But when because of what Jesus has done, we become a follower of Jesus. We become friends of God. We become these, 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 this, this understanding of, of that, this relationship of between us and our Heavenly Father is no longer broken. It's been restored. The last one we looked at the last week will, is actually the first one we'll jump into this week. This understanding of righteousness. We become righteous before God. Righteous meaning that we finally meet God's standard of perfection. Because if you think about this, God is holy. And all throughout Scripture, you look at, especially in the Old Testament, you see this. God is holy, which is why from the very beginning, when, when Adam and Eve first sinned, God kicks them out of the Garden of Eden because of understanding of separation. But God is holy and He can have nothing to do with sin. He has to judge sin. And the only way we can have this right relationship with God is, is the, to change and to have our, our unrighteous become righteous. And, and it's only because of what Jesus has done. And because of what Jesus has done, this, we become righteous. We become right with God. And we'll look at that here in a few moments as well. But 
One of the things that is happening uh, this week is not only is it uh, Halloween, but there is something that happened historically uh, on October 31st by this guy, Martin Luther. October 31st, 1517, he went to the, the castle there in, in Wittenberg, Germany, and he posted on that, that castle. And the reason why he did it on, on, the, on the church is the reason why he did it was because that was like the public bulletin board. It would be like going down to Giant Eagle or going down the sheets here and posting it on, on their community bulletin board. And, and he had 95 reasons why what the Catholic Church was doing was wrong. Specifically over what's called indulgences. And at that point in time, in the history of the Catholic Church, they were teaching that as long as you gave enough money, you could free somebody out of purgatory and get it into and go into God's presence in heaven. And Martin Luther said, no. That's not what Scripture talks about. And the reason why he came to that conclusion, because he read the book of Romans. In fact, Specifically, he read Romans chapter 1, but when you look at Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul explains that every single person in this world, it doesn't matter who you are, every single person in this world has the same problem when they, when they stand before God. Romans chapter 1, a pagan person that never heard... Never hears the name of Jesus. A pagan person stands before God guilty, condemned. Why? Because the, God has put into creation His invisible quality, His invisible nature, so that people can see there is a God. There's a Creator God. And so it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter if you live in China. It doesn't matter if you live in Timbuktu. It doesn't matter. Every single person in this world stands guilty before a holy God. And that was his argument in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 2, what about the moral person? What about someone who, who maybe tries to live up to God's standard? And Paul says, no, it doesn't matter. They're guilty before God. Romans chapter 3, well, what about the Jews? What about the Jewish people? They were given God's law. They understood what God required. So all you have to do is follow the Old Testament, right? And then you can earn your way into heaven. And Paul says, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't happen that way. Every single person in this world is guilty before a holy God. Chapter 4, 5, and 6, he talks about this great gift of salvation. And the section that we read, or that Ruthie read for us, is this transition period you want to say that as he goes from this understanding that every single person is guilty before a holy god he says but there's hope that's not the end of the story it's because of what jesus has done it's because of what god has done through jesus again I, i'm throwing up more passages of scriptures uh, up on the up on the PowerPoint here, just to kind of so you can kind of see as we walk through Paul's argument than I normally do. But he starts off in in verse twenty one that says, "Now, apart from the law, there is this righteousness of God." And again, when Paul uses the word righteousness, 
he, he uses it in a little bit different uh, context than, than what we saw last week in 2 Corinthians. Here he is talking about the meaning of righteousness is doing what God requires. This perfect obedience. And, and Paul is saying here in, in, in chapter verse 1 here is that apart from the law, because you've been talking all about the Old Testament law and the purpose of the Old Testament law in the first part of chapter 3, and we'll see a, a verse here in a few minutes that kind of wraps his argument up in that first section. But apart from this law, apart from the Old Testament, there is a way for us to come to this place of perfect obedience before a holy God. In fact, God revealed, and this is the second point there, God revealed to us how we can meet His perfect standard apart from the Old Testament law and apart from good works. And so many times you will have this understanding when it comes to, you know, when they stand before Holy God and, and, and God is there and, and, and you have this mentality of saying, okay, as long as I'm good enough, as long as my deeds outweigh my, my good deeds, outweigh my bad deeds, God has to let me into heaven. And in some ways, that has influenced so many people's thinking. But again, Paul is saying, in and of yourself, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter. Because you cannot earn this perfection, this righteousness that God requires. You cannot be good enough. But so many times, again, we look at each other and we say, it's so easy to see that uh, when I was doing prison ministry. It was so easy to, to have this attitude as you're going into prisons and as you're hearing these stories being like, being like, like I'm so much better than them. I'm so much better than them. Because I wouldn't have dared the understanding of committing that crime. There was a night in my dorm room when the Lord had to humble me and came to me and said, you're, you're, there's no difference between you and them. You're a sinner just like them. Yeah, the sin may look different, but you're just like them. It changes your mind when you start thinking about people that way, is that we're all on the same equal footing when it comes to our relationship with God. There's this perfection, this righteousness, this standard. How do we meet God's standard? How do we meet God's perfection? And Paul says, there's this standard of perfection that has, that has came apart from the Old Testament law. Because if you want to know what the purpose of the Old Testament law is, Romans chapter... Sorry, I can't see my own screen here. Let me blow that up a little bit. Romans chapter 3, if everybody was open, look at, read, follow along with me as I look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. No one will meet this standard of perfection in God's sight by the works of the law. Okay, Paul? If the Jewish people weren't going and doing these offerings uh, to, to be righteous before you, then what's the purpose of the law? The second part of verse 20. Through the law, we have become conscious of our sin. 
I mean, Paul will flush this out more and more details in the book of Galatians, but you realize in the Old Testament time, the purpose of the Old Testament law was never to make the nation of Israel right with God. Never. The purpose of the Old Testament law was to remind Israel they are helpless sinners before a holy God. And the only way they can, they can have hope and the only way that they, they can be, be, uh, have this understand, hope of with, with, right, with God is their faith and trust in the Word of God and that these animals that they are providing, is, that sin is costly, that sin is, is when they stand before a holy God, they're guilty before a holy God. They were ne- the Old Testament law was never, given to make people right with God. If you look at the book of Leviticus, every time a person sinned, they had to do a sacrifice. And it was that reminder is that God is holy. God is perfect. I am not. And in order for me to hope, and you'll see that here in Romans 3 where God doesn't because of His grace and mercy as people brought these sacrifices as people came with pure hearts bringing these sacrifices they covered their sin until Jesus the perfect Lamb of God comes to take away their sins. The Old Testament law was to teach us that we are worthless, helpless sinners before a holy God. In fact, the Isaiah verse that I, I put up there uh, a few minutes ago says this, We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds, in other words, deeds that we think are good, are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. One of the things that I have enjoyed, I guess, doing and, and learning is, is changing oil in our vehicles. There was a time when, when I did it out of necessity because uh, right out of seminary I would do it just to try to save a few dollars. Uh, and then now I do it just because there's one of the things that I enjoy doing. If you were to come over to our, our house when I'm changing our oil, I am not the cleanest mechanic in the world. In fact, it's probably a good thing that we have a gravel driveway so that I can dig a hole underneath the oil filter and the oil plug so that when, as the oil is, is going out, as the wind blows the oil, that it, it, there's, it uh, doesn't make a mess on the cement. And usually when I'm done changing the oil, I have tons of these oil-filled paper towels to wipe my hands, to, to wipe off my tools because as I'm taking the oil plug off, the oil flies out and, uh, and, and usually my wrench gets all covered with oil and so forth. And in a real sense, that is the picture of this Isaiah 64, 6 passage. That when we think in our heads, hey, I'm a good person because I do X, Y, and Z. But to God, our good deeds are just filthy rags. They're just garbage. There's no way we can be good enough. 
to make ourselves this perfection to be righteous. And that's why Paul goes on and says, that's why Paul goes on and says there that verse 22, this righteousness is given by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. How do we receive this righteousness apart from the God's law? How do we receive this perfection apart from that that we can't have? It's we receive this righteousness through faith in Jesus. It's by faith. And again, faith is simply this, this simple trust. I mean, we use faith every single day in our lives. We don't, we don't, maybe don't call it faith, but we use faith every single day in our lives. We, we draw it when you drove here. You use faith by putting the key in your car, by turning the, the, the ignition switch and, and your car starting up. You use faith when you were driving here that the, you're trusting that the people coming from the other direction follow the same rules of the road. It's interesting. I always joke, joke around with people that if I ever flew out of the country and went over to England, I would probably get, I'd probably get in big trouble. Number one, when I rented a car, I would go to the wrong side and sit down and be like, where's the steering wheel? Number one. Number two, as soon as I drive out of the airport, I want to be on the other side of the road looking for, for, and all of a sudden they're wondering, why in the world is there traffic coming at towards me? Well, we use faith, the trust that people are going to follow the same rules. You came into this building. You had faith that as you sat down in your chairs that they were going to hold you. That's what faith is. That's that trust. And so we have faith. We have trust that God said that if you put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done, then you will receive and become this righteous person. That's what happens when we come to put our faith and trust in Jesus. We become righteous. We finally meet God's standard of perfection. And it's only through faith in Jesus. Paul continues. And again, the end of uh, chapter 22, he, I'm sorry, end of verse 22 there, he says, um, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And again, that was his entire argument in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew that has the Old Testament law. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, a moral person, or a complete pagan. It doesn't matter. There's no difference between those two because for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Verse 23, and again, we all, we all, if you grew up in the church, you've heard that verse many, many times. But verse 24 is a continuation of that same sentence. Where Paul goes on and says, and all are justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means that we are set free. To be set free. And of course we have to ask that question of what are we set free from? But you also see in verse 24 that not only is are we all are justified, but in that very next word, all are justified by how? By freely, by His grace. In other words, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. This is a free gift from God. And if you're honest with yourself, a one that we do not deserve. Because if you think about this, what do we deserve? God is holy. 
God can have no have nothing to do with sin. We are sinners because that's just how we're born. That's our nature. Thanks to Adam and Eve, we get the same nature because of Adam and Eve that's passed on from generation to generation. What do we deserve? We deserve separation from God. We deserve to be to spend eternity separated from God. That's what we deserve because we are sinners. Our very nature is that. But over and over again we see this in Romans. There's a free gift. A free gift that God is offering us to us. To us and we don't deserve it. And so then in verse 24, and all are justified freely by His grace through, and then another term that, that sometimes we, we talk about, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Again, that word justification and redemption, very same understanding. And so what happens when a person is justified and we're set free? Well, the question becomes, what are we set free from? Well, when a person comes to put their faith and trust in Jesus, God sets us free from our sin. God releases those in Christ. And again, that phrase, in Christ, is referring to believers. That's, our, that's our, 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 who we are, our identity, that when we come to know Jesus, we are in Christ. God releases those in Christ from being slaves to sin. Do you realize that? Do you realize that before you were put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were a slave to sin? Again, we don't like to talk about, use these terminologies sometimes because of some of the, the, the negative connotations, but these are the biblical words that they use to describe our relationship before Christ and our relationship after Christ. We were slaves to sin. We could only sin. In fact, this is a real picture of what happens. When you're born, you are a slave to sin. Yes, the Bible talks about, and then we can talk about that, that, that there's that age of innocence as, uh, as kids. But at some point in time, and as parents you know this, at some point in time, that little innocent three- or four-year-old is going to come to you and, is going, and you're going to tell them to do something, and they're going to say, no. And then you're going to realize you just gave birth to a sinner. And the job as a parent is to train them. This is, again, this is the terminology that the Scripture uses. You are to train them in the way of the Lord. Because in and of themselves, they are sinners, which is why... You don't have to teach your kids how to misbehave. You don't have to teach people how to misbehave. When we're looking at the, 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 the conversation that we had with uh, uh, the whole gender identity and, and sexual orientation, and we looked at Romans chapter 1, that was, that's Paul's argument. When we look at uh, you know what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's Paul's argument that unbelievers are just acting like unbelievers. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so why in the world do you have the right to judge unbelievers? Because they're just acting like unbelievers. We need to judge believers because something is different about believers. And so every single person spiritually 
is a slave to sin. And that's all they can do. They can only, they can only sin. That's why none of, they can't be good enough to earn that perfection because this is what they look like. They're enslaved to sin. And then all of a sudden, they hear the gospel of Jesus, the person hears the gospel of Jesus, and they respond to the gospel of Jesus, and they understand, wait, I'm enslaved to sin. I, I do not want to live that way anymore. I am going to bury my sin. I am going to turn, which is repentance. I am going to turn and turn and change my way, and now I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to Jesus. And what happens is all of a sudden the slavery to sin, when a person does that, the chains fall off, and all of a sudden they're free now. They're free. That's why there's the verses in the Bible that talk about how wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's talking about there's freedom spiritually, that they're no longer disbound, they're no longer slave to sin. It doesn't mean the, the, the uh, freedom in the sense that we can run around and, and act crazy. It's the freedom that we have to now we have, the, have the, uh, the, the power and the ability to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. We can live free. And we'll talk about that here in a few weeks of what that looks like. But we're justified. We've been set free. The sin that has enslaved us has been has been washed away has been has been gone is 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 no longer this is who we are in Christ which is why there's uh, there's so many uh, traditional songs hymns that that the church has sang and one of them the more popular one is is Franny Crosby uh, she was was blind and then she wrote many many of the, the the hymns of the church but one of the most famous ones she wrote is is redeemed how redeemed I love to proclaim it Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child forever I am. And in the chorus, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And, and what she is saying there is that word redeem is, I've been set free. I've been set free. I am no longer a slave to sin. I've been set free. That's what happens. And again, verse 24. And all are justified freely. This is a free gift. By His grace. And again, that same understanding of, of the end of chapter, or the end of verse 22, there is no distinction. Every single person in this world has the same problem. Every single person in this world has the same solution. It doesn't matter. All are justified. All have been set free freely. It is a free gift from God by His grace through the redemption, through the, the, the release from being captives, that came by whom? By Jesus Christ. Verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. You see, every single year, the only time in the Old Testament and the only time in the, in, in the, the Old Testament when, when one person out of the whole entire nation of Israel could go in between the Holy of Holies and go into the Holy of Holies and, and, and be in the very presence of God because that's what the Ark of Covenant represented. The presence of God. 364 days out of the year, nobody could pull away that veil 
and walk into the presence of God. But one day out of the entire year, one man could, but they had to make sure everything was done properly. And you can look in the book of Leviticus and you can see that Day of Atonement and how, how they had to have certain wash their clothes a certain way. They had to bathe a certain way. They had the, the two animals and then the sacrifices a certain way. And then finally, after all those things were done, they took the blood and they were able to go into the presence and sprinkle the blood upon that mercy seat, which was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And it was on that day, which is called the Day of Atonement, where the, atone, where the sins of the nation of Israel were atoned for. That is why, because of what Jesus has done, and Paul, Paul is saying here, that is why what Jesus has done, He presented His, 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 his body as that, that sacrifice. God, verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of what? Of atonement. You see, Jesus is the means of our forgiveness. He's the only way we can be forgiven. Jesus is the means of our forgiveness by His blood and is received by what? Faith. That's it. There's no other option. The whole, well, I, I hope I'm good enough or hope I, I gave enough or, or I was a good, supposedly a good Christian. Again, as we go through the series, you'll never hear me use that term Christian because of our culture and because, especially down south, if you ever uh, went down south and we went on vacation down south in North Carolina to visit Marguerite's brother. And the culture is still very much, hey, uh, a Christian culture where people, there was a guy, we were driving back from our nephew's soccer game, and there was a guy out there, he was having a grand old time with his trumpet, and he had these signs out there that said, you know, do you know Jesus? Do you, uh, Jesus is coming, are you ready? And people were honking, people were, were, were rooting him on, and, and, and again, he was having a grand old time and trying to show, tell people about Jesus. The town they were in, that they live in isn't a very large town, it's a little bit larger than, than Bedford, but the amount of churches that are in that town is incredible. But even down south in the Bible Belt, so many people think in their heads, oh, to be a good Christian, i got to do X, Y, and Z. To be acceptable to God, i got to go to church at least one hour a week. Maybe if, I, if I'm, I'm really generous, maybe two hours, maybe even Wednesday night if I don't have anything to do, and that I'm just getting these check marks to say, yeah, yeah, that up there in heaven. If I give enough, you know, I give not just 10%, but maybe I give 20%. That's, that's, again, all those things are good. But if you're relying upon that for salvation, the answer is no. It's only through the blood of Jesus. Because the good deeds that we do is like that filthy rack before a holy God. The only way we can become righteous, the only way we can become righteous before a holy God is what Jesus did. He came upon this earth he lived a perfect life. He, was, he had no sin. Hebrews tells us that. The Gospels tell us that. He's the only kid that when his mom told him to clean his room, he said, yep, sounds good, mom. 
he obeyed his heavenly Father perfectly. Even those instances where it seems like, you know, sometimes he's a little rude to his mom, especially in the Gospels. Age of 12, he disappears. And he's there in the temple. And his mom finds him. He says, don't you know that your, your, your father and I have been searching for you? And he says, why? Because I'm going to be in my, the house of my, my father. My heavenly father. Those times when, again, in our English translations, we'll say what Jesus calls his, his, his mother woman. And we're like, man, that's the rudest thing you can imagine. But again, if you understand the culture that, and the, the terminologies, he is saying, ma'am. Ma'am, don't you know what my true family is, the people that obey me? Ma'am, don't you know that my time has not come, so... So let me do this miracle of turning water into wine in more secretive. But he lived a perfect life. And as we went through the Gospel of Luke, hopefully you, you saw that at the end of the Gospel of Luke, everything happened according to God's plan, even though the disciples looking at that thinking, man, life is spinning out of control. Everything happened according to the way God planned it. And he went to that cross. As Isaiah 53 says, a man of sorrow, he went to that cross for you and for me to pay the penalty of my sins for your sin. He died willingly. And then, three days later, He rises again. Announcing to the world that sin and death are no more. And His followers have this hope. And that's why He says even to John, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, His one and only Son, His unique Son. That's what that word means. That whosoever believes in Him will not perish, referring to having this, this, this spiritual death, but will have everlasting life. It's only through what Jesus has done. During this transition time, Paul is saying, listen, it, every single person has this problem. Every single person is guilty before a holy God. Every single person is a sinner, a helpless sinner. And there's no way that they have any hope. But God revealed this righteousness to us. That's apart from the law. But God provided Jesus for us to be that sacrifice of atonement to set us free to redeem us from the slavery of sin and he has done this freely and he is holding out his arms and saying will you accept it do you believe and again, it's not belief in the sense of, yeah, I, be I, I believe that in the sense of head knowledge. It's do you believe it with all your heart? Is it affecting every single ounce, every single moment of every single day? Is it affecting your life? Do you believe? Again, when you look at that question, you know what happens when a person comes to know Jesus? This is, again, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this is who you are. This is your, your identity in Christ. You are a new creation. Your old sinful life has been washed away. It's gone. You have been reconciled to God. You are that friend to God. That relationship has been 
reconciled. You are righteous. You have met God's standard of perfection. You, have, you are in this right relationship with God. And you are been set free from the penalty and from the slavery of sin. That is who you are. And again, so many times as I talk to people and people ask questions of, of am I really a follower of Jesus? Sometimes we have to preach to ourselves, this is who I am in Christ. And remind ourselves of these passages of Scriptures. This is what happened when I put my faith and trust in Jesus. This is who you are. The praise team is going to come and we're going to sing our, our final song. Again, it's that reminder of that everything that that we walk through, and, and we'll walk through some more uh, next week. But everything that we walk through of this is who we are in Christ. This, if you know Jesus as your Savior, this is who you are. It only happens because of what Jesus has done. In fact, the first verse is, What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? Again, hopefully as we sing these songs now when we're, you're thinking about these terms, hopefully it brings more meaning to these songs. You know, what gift of grace. You know, in other words, I, there's nothing that I have done to deserve this. This is a free gift from God. Is Jesus my Redeemer? He's the one that has set me free. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness. Again, Jesus' righteousness, perfection is being applied to my life. And I, it's only because of that that I am in that right relationship with God. And the freedom that I experience because of that. My steadfast love. My deep and boundless peace. And we'll talk about peace next week. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to Him. And again, it's only through what Jesus has done that we ever have hope that when we stand before a holy God, that he will say, welcome home. Welcome home. Let's stand as we sing our final song.